What's up, everybody, and welcome to episode 12 of the Crew Sports Podcast. Make sure to check us out on Twitter, at Crew Sports Pod. I'm Michael Akeem, joined here always by Vito Patel. We got a lot to talk about today, Vito. There's a lot to talk about. I'm excited for this one. Yeah, so probably going to be a pod focused on college football. A lot going on in the coaching carousel. And then this week's ranking is actually going to be college football themed as well in honor of rivalry week we just had but we'll start with the news a lot a lot a lot of coaching news fact, this is like nba free agency for the college football coaching wise yeah i don't know if there's ever been like <laughs> this much coaching news before maybe i just never have paid attention to it well the thing is the season's not even done yet like we still got championship week next week and then the playoffs and bowls that's true, exactly. I think that shocks me, too, how early things are happening. Yeah, I think that's the craziest part. But, yeah, we'll get right into it. So the one of the first big schools to extend their coach was Michigan State. They gave Mel Tucker a huge 10-year extension worth $95 million. And then shortly after, Penn State also gave James Franklin a pretty big extension. It was another 10-year extension worth $75 million, and that wasn't fully guaranteed. I mean, I think the James Franklin one is kind of, like, he didn't have that good of a year. I think he kind of fell below expectations after halfway through the year. But, I mean, hey, he's a good coach, and he's a good personality, so, I mean, go for it. But it is kind of a lot. I think the Mel Tucker one surprised me more than the James Franklin one. That puts Mel Tucker as one of the highest paid coaches in college. No, that's fair. And yeah, you bring a good point because what has Mel Tucker done outside this year? Like, he's, it was, he seems like a one year wonder. Like, yeah, it seems like a little too much. Yeah, and they both get 10 year extensions. Yeah, wow. Two Big Ten schools really committed to their coach. Uh, other news you had Billy Naper leaves Louisiana to take over for Dan Mullen at Florida. That's another big school with a coaching change. And then in the ACC, Brent Pry leaves Penn State. He was their defensive coordinator, and he becomes the new head coach of Virginia Tech. So that's another pretty big football school. And then I think getting into the big news that you know everyone's talking about, start off with Lincoln Riley. Surprise move, leaving Oklahoma after what he's built. They're going to USC, and he's bringing his staff and a lot of recruits with him. That whole thing is so crazy. Uh, I mean, first of all, I think Oklahoma is probably a better program, to be honest, than USC. Like, the last 15 years, like, Oklahoma has consistently pretty much always been better than USC. And, like, Lincoln Riley has had something. Like, they've been pretty much, per, like, winners of the Big 12 every year besides, like, this year. And the one year he doesn't win, he decides to dip. Uh, but, yeah, I think what's crazier, too, is how quick everyone's willing to come with him. Like, I don't think Rattler's going to go to USC, but he, he leaves the program and then like the recruits decommit from Oklahoma like right away. Lincoln Riley is the selling point. For, uh, and so it's going to hurt Oklahoma a lot more than some of the other coaching losses. Yeah, I mean, I think they got a good interim coach in Bob Stoops for now, but I think you make a good point. Lincoln Riley was definitely the selling point of why people were coming to Oklahoma. It's still a little surprising how fast all the recruits decommitted, though. No, absolutely. So some of uh, the decommits from this recruiting class was Malachi Nelson, who's the number three overall prospect in the 2023 class. I think the number one quarterback, actually number two quarterback in that class behind, I think, Arch Manning. And then they also had Kobe McKenzie from the class of 2022 decommit, receiver Brandon Innes and running back Tyron Webb. And both Innes and Webb were five-star recruits. 
So like these are major, like major talent, especially on offensive end that's being lost. And I mean, that's fair too, because Lincoln Riley is known for his offensive power to produce these stars. Like he's had Kyler Murray, he's had Jalen Hurts, he's had uh, Baker Mayfield, and he's even had some good receivers in Hollywood Brown and CeeDee Lamb. So like he's bringing all the offense with him. Yeah, he's taking a lot of coaches with him too. So he's taking the defensive coordinator, Alex Grinch. He's taking one of the wide receivers coaches and Dennis Simmons and Benny Wiley, the director of sporting performance, coming with him. Wow. Clark Stroud, the director of football operations, is coming with him. Wow. So actually, I mean, in that sense, he's already bringing the culture with him. And I mean, USC has talent. I feel like the problem with USC is actually they don't have good coaches that made that talent like execute. But like if he's bringing a lot of his staff with him and potentially a few more recruits and with his coaching knowledge, like I think USC becomes good right away. Like, I mean, they were supposed to be pretty good this year, but they always underperformed. This was just another year that USC was ranked to start the season and end the season unranked. And I think with Lincoln Riley, that's not going to happen as much, especially knowing that the Pac-12 kind of sucks. And in terms of recruiting, I mean, he was at Oklahoma, so he was stealing recruits out of Texas probably like the most. Now he's in USC. Your entire backyard is filled with some of the top recruits in the country. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think... Because uh, I was reading about this too, I think Malachi Nelson, that quarterback, was stuck between USC and Oklahoma, and though I think the and he's closer to USC, his hometown's closer to USC. So I think the only thing that brought him to Oklahoma was Lincoln Riley. So for like him, it's so easy to go to USC now. Like I definitely expect him to go to USC, and so like yeah, I think that stuff like that's gonna happen very often. California is a great pipeline for a lot of good talent. But no, USC definitely like historically is a huge program and definitely is like is the biggest like who everyone wants to play for in that area. So you got a good coach, a good recruiter, like their recruiting class is going to continue. Like their recruiting class is already good. They're just going to continue to be good. They're going to be scary. And Lincoln Riley is young, too. So like he's going to be there for quite some time and just build his own thing at USC. That's just crazy. Yeah, that's why they might have like a down year or two, but they'll eventually like bounce back. Another huge surprise, Brian Kelly moving out of South Bend to replace Coach O down at LSU. And from what it sounds like, he's already packed his bags and is down there too. He was gone quick. I mean, his team didn't even know about it. I don't think a lot of the coaching staff even knew about it. They found out on like social media. And that was like the big thing. Yeah, and then they said after that, he met with them for like 11 minutes Tuesday morning. And I think <laughs> he's, he's gone. Now he's packing his bags, heading to Louisiana. Yeah, so many emotions on this. I mean, first, I, I'm not going to lie. I was one of the few, I think, Notre Dame fans that actually kind of like Kelly. But after this, I don't really like him at all. Okay, I don't mind him leaving for that big of a contract. Like, $95 million, that's a lot of money. You're going to be set. Your kids are going to be set. Your kids' kids might be set. Like, it's a lot of money. I definitely understand that. But to not finish the season is kind of like, like, why? Like, yeah, they don't got a conference championship next week because they're independent, but you might be going to the playoffs. Like We don't know what, depending on what happens next week, Notre Dame could be that number four team heading into the playoffs, and they're going to have someone like step up and be the interim head coach. But like interesting timing of it all. And the thing is, as a player of this team, you like you. I mean, you you love your coach. You like you care for your coach, and you expect the coach does the same for you. But for like a coach to like just leave you like this, uh, I don't know. It kind of says a lot. And like this team, it's not like this team was like just garbage or they weren't even going to make it to a bowl game. They're a real like contender. Like they're two upsets, well, not even upsets, uh, a Georgia win and like one upset away from making the playoffs. So they, they were still contenders. And even if they didn't, 
they're actually in a good position to actually win a New Year's Six Bowl this year. So all around, it doesn't make sense for the timing. Uh, that's just my take. He he did a good job winning, but he didn't do a good job winning the big game. So I do think there could be a brighter future, especially knowing the character he has now. I think there definitely is a better option at Coach and Coach Kelly. Unlike Oklahoma, none of the Notre Dame players are looking to decommit. None of the coaches have made any announcements of them leaving, and none of our recruits are saying that they're not going to commit to Notre Dame either. Like. It's all around looks like people come to Notre Dame for Notre Dame. And so it was bigger than Brian Kelly. And I actually kind of like that. Like, I think Brian Kelly never sold, sold himself. He always sold the program, which, I mean, I guess there's not much to sell about himself but in comparison to Lincoln Riley. But, like, that's good. At least when we lose him, we don't really lose much of anything outside of just him. Yeah, I think that's the biggest difference between Oklahoma and Notre Dame. Yeah, Oklahoma historically is pretty good, but, like, Notre Dame – you're playing nationally televised games almost every week. It's a huge brand, like one of the biggest brands in sports, not just in college football. Yeah. In Oklahoma, you're definitely selling, you know, one of the best offensive minds in college football. You're selling Lincoln Riley. Like he's telling you, come play with me. I'm going to make you a star. Exactly. Yeah. Brian Kelly's saying, you know, come play with me. Everyone's going to see you on TV at Notre Dame. If you're good, you're going to the league. Everyone's going to know who you are. And, and if you're not so good, you're going to get a Notre Dame degree and you'll be fine. Like, yeah, yeah that's true. <laughs> no, exactly. So, like, exactly. The selling points are just different. Though, speaking of recruiting, one of the things I wanted to quickly talk about, though, was I think one of the reasons Kelly wants to go to LSU is because he felt like Notre Dame recruited his, I mean, limited his recruiting. And honestly, thinking of all the suspensions we've had academic related the last, like, 10 years or since Kelly's been there, it kind of does get frustrating. It seems like every year we have somebody miss some time because they couldn't meet the academic rigor of Notre Dame. And, like, you know, prevent him from getting the top recruits he wanted. In the last five years, we only had one five-star recruit. So, like, we've just been snatching a lot of four-stars that are good at school. That's all we're really doing. Yeah, there definitely is a challenge with Notre Dame, the academic challenge. And Notre Dame doesn't have, like, a pipeline, right? They Notre Dame gets yeah. recruits from, like, all over the country. Like, they got some California kids. You get some Texas kids. You get some Florida kids. You get some, like, New York kids. Notre Dame, like, picks people out of everywhere. And, like... That's true. That takes a lot of traveling and time as a coach. Yeah, and that's also why they do like their Shamrock Series game. They do it in a bunch of different places of the country. Like this year, had Chicago. We've had it in New York previously. It's it goes around everywhere, and that's part of like recruiting too. Yeah, but like everyone all over the country knows Notre Dame too. But like down at LSU, LSU is going to be like the only Power Five school in the state, right? So he gets first pick at the state of Louisiana and like East Texas. Yeah, exactly. It's right next to Texas, too. And, oh, man, Texas has a lot of talent, too. I think LSU is a great recruiting place. And so if that's what Kelly's interested in, it would definitely help him. But what makes me, as a Notre Dame fan, kind of excited, if we make the playoffs, basically Kelly's telling us, I can't win in Notre Dame. That's why I'm leaving. And so if these kids make the playoffs, I know they're they're trying to win this. Like, like I know everybody's trying to win, but they're trying to prove something for sure. And, like, it, it would be so nice to see us win without him. Oh, I, and I mean, you know me, I've been saying this for at least five years now. Like with you guys, I've been saying, you know, Kelly, he's a good coach. He can win the regular season. He's not a great coach. We're never going to win a championship yeah. with him there. And oh, I I, th- I would love it. I would. I'd love it. <laughs> oh, it'd be the best. I would be wrong in this situation because I thought he was a great coach. But I could accept at this point that he is. A, he's good enough to get us close to there, but not finish the job. And if someone else finishes the job. I mean, I'll be happy because we won the championship. And honestly, I didn't like the way Kelly exited anyways. So I'm taking it. A little, a little fuel to the fire. Yeah. 
Yeah, there's been a lot of names going around. So I think there's five pretty big names going around. You got Matt Campbell, the Iowa State head coach. So the story with him is during the year, it was known he would only ever leave Iowa State for two jobs, according to him. And they were Ohio State or Notre Dame. Oh, wow. Obviously, the Ohio State job isn't open, but the Notre Dame job seems to be open now. Matt Campbell's good, actually. He turned a pretty nobody programmed Iowa State into a, like, they're not great, but they're definitely, like, ranked every year, it seems like, ever since he's been there. I would think he's a decent fit, but I think there's still better fits out here. The next big name going around is Luke Fickle, the Cincinnati coach. What they're saying around him is it's not likely he's going to leave Cincinnati right now, especially right now, because they look like they're trying to clinch a playoff spot. But, you know, I mean, uh, some people leave right before the playoffs, I guess. Yeah, I guess it would be the first time it happened. Uh, a former Cincinnati coach leaving <laughs> before playoffs. But um, uh, I, I would love to have Fickle. He's he's a great coach. I mean, Cincinnati, just like Iowa State, is not a good program. But, like, he's doing the most with what he has. And I respect coaches that do, do that. And I think that would kind of translate well. Another name going around, you're talking about people doing – the most of what they had. Pat Fitzgerald, the Northwestern coach. He's a Northwestern alum. He loves it there. And like the best coach in Northwestern's history. Obviously, they're not that great. But similar to like Fickle in Cincinnati, he's done pretty good with what he's got. And Northwestern's another school like where recruiting is kind of hard because of the academic standards. He So he's already used to selling the academics to students. So like, I guess... He would be just fine recruiting. I think one of the things about Pat is like he's brought his team to the Big Ten Championship a couple of times, but Northwestern has never even seen that kind of success or even close to it. So I think he would do just fine at Notre Dame because it's basically just a upgraded uh, <laughs> Northwestern. I think this would be like the closest fit there is. Yeah, I mean, all these guys so far, pretty good names, pretty big names. All have been coaches, all have shown success with head coaching. The last name on this list has never been head coach before. That'd be Marcus Freeman. He's finishing out his first year as Notre Dame's defensive coordinator right now. And, I mean, he's been great. Everyone's loved him. And yeah. Kelly's pushing pretty hard to try and bring him with him to LSU. He's trying to get him and Tommy Reese, the offensive coordinator down there. I think it'd be a pretty big loss if, if he's able to bring Freeman with him. Yes, please don't bring Freeman. Like, you could leave. Don't bring Freeman. Like, I, I, I want Freeman so bad. He's, I mean, he's already shown his growth this year. Like, when the season started, everyone was doubting his ability to coach well. And, like, because the defense started off slow. In the last few weeks of the season, like, we've been absolutely the most dominant defense there was. Like, one score we gave up this weekend against Stanford was because of the offense. And the other one was just, like, garbage time, really, with some backups in. This defense is so dominant, and what's even better is like he's recruiting incredibly well. Like he's had more five-star commits than like for the next two recruiting classes than Kelly's had in like the last seven eight years. He's he's insane. He could recruit better than Kelly has, and the players love him. Honestly, like I saw a bunch of tweets. Uh, I mean, Kyle Hamilton himself said he wants Marcus Freeman to be the next coach, and a lot of other players are tweeting that thing. The Freeman era. So like. I think he's the best fit. And, like, I know a lot of people are scared, like, oh, but he's never been a head coach. But, like, Lincoln Riley was the offensive coordinator for Oklahoma before he was a coach. He's doing just fine. I think Marcus Freeman will be just fine moving into the head coaching position. I think it's the easiest thing for Notre Dame, too, especially right now with everything going on. Like like I said, next week is championship week. And then you got the Bulls and the playoffs starting after that. 
it's pretty like crazy time still. Like the season is definitely not over. So yeah, I think Mark Freeman is the easiest fit, and everyone seems to love him. And instead of like you know waiting for his recruits to come in next year or whatever, he turned around mid season. He figured things out with what he's got. Like it's a trait that we seem to like in a lot of these other coaches. And he's young. He's never had a head coaching experience before, but he's gonna get head coaching offers at some point. You're gonna just beat everyone else and and make him the head coach from now. Like he's gonna get head coaching offers at some point. He's he's already in this short time showing he's too good. Exactly, exactly. His track record is amazing. I mean, Cincinnati's had one of the best defenses last year, and this year they have one of the best defenses again. And that was his recruiting and his training that caused it. The first year in Notre Dame, he's doing so well. And uh, you said that he adjusted to the talent he had. Not only that, he lost his best player halfway through the season on defense. And the top five pick, probably, in Kyle Hamilton, still the defense still got better. So, yeah, he's he's a stud. I think we should sign him. But sign him before it's too late. Sign him, like you said, someone's probably going to get him. Sign him before it's time for the playoffs, especially if we make it. Speaking of college football playoffs, the rankings have recently came out. We're going to take a look at those now. I don't expect too many surprises this week, honestly. Georgia still won. Michigan takes Ohio State spot at two. Bama stays at three. Cincinnati at four. Oklahoma jumps Notre Dame to five. Notre Dame stays at six. Ohio State drops down to seven. Ole Miss eight. Baylor nine. And Oregon ten. I think my immediate reaction, I mean, it's not too big a reaction, but I guess they found Oklahoma State's super close win against Oklahoma at home much better than Notre Dame's last few weeks of dominating. I don't think necessarily that, uh, like, if Oklahoma State wins next week, they probably have a better resume. They should be at an Notre Dame. But as of right now, I don't know, because Oklahoma doesn't even look that good. Like, if that's your best win, winning by a few points against Oklahoma, it's not that impressive in my head. I think it also just says that if Oklahoma State wins the Big 12 championship next week, they're in ahead of Notre Dame. Like, definitely. Yeah. I heard that folks would think that, uh, like, losing Coach Kelly might impact our ranking. Yeah, they actually said, so the the college football chair, Gary Barda, says Brian Kelly's departure could be a factor in the final playoff rankings. I See, I don't know if that should matter uh, because the players are the same. And it's the playoffs are not for the coach. It's for the – I mean, the playoffs are for the players, not the coach. But that being said, there's still a fairly clear path for Notre to still make the playoffs. It's the same regardless of oh, if Oklahoma State's ahead yeah, of us or behind us. Oklahoma State has to be Baylor, and Baylor isn't an easy foe, and especially a week after barely winning at home. I could see that being a loss. Cincinnati has to play a team that a lot of people are sleeping on, but Houston's pretty good, 11-1. and one. Yeah, they're up to number 21 now. Exactly. And Michigan also has a big battle. Like, after winning the game, like, they had to play Iowa this week. And Iowa's not, like, as good as Ohio State, of course, but they're pretty decent team. You don't want to sleep on them. Iowa's ranked 13th now. So, for the championship week games with playoff implications, they're all top 25 matchups. Yeah, exactly. and so. All we need really is for Georgia to take care of business against Alabama and one of the three upsets to happen. I think Notre Dame should still should be in. So, I mean, it burns life as ever. And if none of those upsets happen, then, you know, we don't deserve to be in anyways. So none of this rankings really surprised me too much. I still think the ranking, the committee loves Alabama so much, though, because they didn't look too strong against an Auburn team with a quarterback that was limping the whole game. <laughs> The thing is, no one outside of Georgia has seems to be like that dominant. I think that's why they're still that high. 
The only teams that have consistently stayed in the top like five or ten is Bama and Georgia. I don't think anyone else has stayed in the top ten for that long. That's true. I think the next closest team would actually be Michigan. Because even Michigan's only loss was like, they were up by a lot. They just blew it. They were in like the, the low teens and then they came all the way back up. Oklahoma State was unranked at one point and they came all the way up. Random news, uh, but going back to what we were talking about earlier, I just saw a link thing. Uh, five-star quarterback Malachi Nelson commits to USC. That was quick. <laughs> you were here first. <laughs> it looks like they're going to just, a lot of his recruits follow him to USC. Yeah. There's not many programs that are bigger than Oklahoma, but USC is one of them. Yeah, that's fair. The last week of the season is always rivalry week in college football, and a lot of these games have big implications. We talked about the Iron Bowl, for example. And so for this week's Rank It, me and Vito are going to be ranking the top 10 rivalries in college football. And the rivalry's got to have history and tradition, and I think competitiveness is a pretty important one, too. It has to be fairly close, or else it's not really a rivalry. Yeah, and a lot of the teams that we're going to be looking at, I think they play every year. I guess, yeah, how do you want to start this list? Do you have someone for the top? I think there's. I think it's between oh, two. Yeah. Who do you think, think is it's the between two? Rivalry. I want to say it's the game. I was thinking, or the Iron Bowl. Really? I think it's the game, and then everyone else falls just a little tier below. Michigan and Ohio State, in my opinion, is the rivalry. Okay, for number one, though, competitiveness. All right, let's go. Competitiveness. Michigan leads the rivalry against Ohio State 58-52 with six ties. So it's pretty close. And then Bama leads the Iron Bowl rivalry rivalry 47-37 with one tie. Yeah, so they're both pretty close. No, they're both really close. But I would say for the for the game at least, they they have a lot more top 10 matchups. And like even this year... Actually, in the, in the last like five, ten years, there's been a decent amount of top ten matchups. Even though the Alabama Auburn games have fairly like usually always been close, even though Alabama's been pretty dominant, I think both teams are always pretty good when it comes to the game. Yeah, that's the thing. In, in Michigan and Ohio State, they're always both ranked. They're always both pretty good because Michigan and Ohio State are the two most winningest college football teams. Michigan has the most wins in college football, and Ohio State is second. Uh, I mean, yeah, exactly. They're the most winningest program playing against each other. And I mean, the games have been really close. I mean, as of late, Ohio State's been dominating outside of Saturday. But in general, it's been a fairly close rivalry. And it's, they both just hate each other. Yeah, the game at 46 ranked matchup, 23 top 10 ranked matchups, which I think has to be one of the most. At least from what I'm seeing, I think this that is the most top 10 matchup. Uh, in terms of history, the game started in 1897, and they've had 117 matchups. Iron Bowl started earlier, though, 1893, with 86 matchups. Wow, so they must have took a little break. Yeah, they stopped playing for a few years. Um, Yeah, I, I'd agree with you then. I think the game, Ohio State versus Michigan, is number one. And then the Iron Bowl is number two. Because the Iron Bowl, it doesn't have as many ranked matchups. Like, it's got 24 ranked matchups, 8 top 10 matchups. But I think it's because Auburn usually isn't ranked or ranked really highly, but they are always close with Bama. Like, even, like, this year, Auburn was not ranked, and they almost won. Yeah, four overtimes. Actually, you know what's crazy? I'm pretty sure uh, Auburn's won the last three home matchups against Alabama, and they would have made it four in a row. I mean, I can't even think of any team that's even been that close to Bama in the last, ever since Saban's been there. 
So that just shows how much they hate each other for them to feel exactly. that much hate to keep it that close. So I agree. I think, and those games are always so much fun to watch because Auburn, for some reason, they're never supposed to keep it close, but they're always close. And I think with that, there's no pro teams down there in Alabama. So like they live and breathe Alabama football or Auburn football. Like the state is split between those two. The whole state's divided. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that one's like an in-state rivalry too. I agree. Iron would be number two for sure. Because I didn't think of all the emotions behind mm-hmm. it too, but the state's being split. And there's usually more postseason implications with that game. For the Iron Bowl, it's usually just Auburn spoiling Bama. Except there was a year with Cam Newton. It, they won and they it pushed them to the to the championship. Yeah. And in the year they had the kick six too. Like that Auburn team was ranked number four. The kick six here. And that was that was a big one too, because that put them into the BCS championship game. I mean, I guess they haven't usually been competitive, but they've had a couple of really good ones where they have made them found themselves in the playoffs. Not playoffs, but postseason play BCS back then. Both huge rivalries. I those are definitely the top two. Yeah. Next one is I want to go with Red River rival I can't even say it. The, the Red River rivalry. That's what I was thinking too, actually. Oh, perfect. <laughs> yeah, no, because I just, every time they play as a recent, Oklahoma and Texas have been so great. And both of them are blue bloods, like two of the best football programs ever. Oklahoma's had some crazy good years. So has Texas. Uh, they've had championships. They've both been contenders many times. And they've had 42 ranked matchups and 17 top 10 matchups. I mean, I love that rivalry. Yeah, started back in 1900, and they've also played 117 times. And Texas leads the overall 62 to 50 with five ties. So all it's pretty close. It's not like one team absolutely dominates. But what I love about this one, they play this at a neutral site. Half the stadium is split orange, and the other half's red. That's true. Yeah, they played a neutral site. That's that's my favorite part about it too. Yeah, and those games are always fireworks, just shootouts. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm good with that one at three. Heck, every year it does disappoint. Yeah, I agree. Red River, right River, Red. I won't be able to say it. Uh, next, I'm thinking Notre Dame USC. Exactly, exactly. That's what I thought was next too. Because I mean, outside of both programs being really good, um, it's a big recruiting battle too. Because Notre Dame gets a lot of their talent from California, and to get the talent from California, they got to beat the big dog of California, USC. Yeah, this one though also. 18 top 10 matchups. So that's one of the most. I think that might be the second most behind Michigan, Ohio State. Yeah. And then 33 ranked matchups. Wow. Yeah. So a lot of the time when they're playing, they're top 10. This rivalry started in 1926 with 92 matchups between them. And it's another fairly close one. Notre Dame leads 49 to 37 with five ties. And that's just because Notre Dame's had this dynasty as a reason. Like, or else it was a lot closer than that, too. Uh, starting in 2010s. We've won most of the last recent ones. This rivalry has had the most Heisman winners play in it with 14. Wow, that's no, that's a big stat. That's true because USC's had a crap load. Notre Dame is tied with Ohio State and Oklahoma for like the most Heisman winners. And then USC is fourth overall, so right behind them. So yeah, that's why there's so many. I mean, that, that means there's just a lot of star matchups. Big players played the Notre Dame USC game. Now is where it gets interesting. Yeah. All right. A few that I'm thinking coming up Army Navy is like America's game. It's usually not for like, you know, playoff or BCS contention, but like that's a huge game. What are you thinking? Like, what are, what are a few that I was thinking Army Navy, 
uh wow there's there's a lot of good ones next yeah because that one's close in the tradition like first of all i think that's the closest one i see when it comes to records wise they're almost identical 57 wins for navy but 53 for army and seven ties holy that's because they run the option though (laughs) (laughs) and this one it's one of the most played ones you got started back in 1890 they've played 121 times wow in terms of entertainment i don't want to put it this high but in terms of like tradition the tradition and the history around it and like that's like the armed forces game like there's a lot of traditions and stuff that happened with the game like outside of just the game like you got like the the flyover and the march down on the field and all that kind of stuff too that's fair and i think i mean they play they always play this game like late right it's like this happens a week after uh uh the champ conference championships games i believe it's always like a bowl game on its own it always happens like really late in the season, right before bowl season. So this one, this year, it's like December 11th. So I think because of all of that, I think Army-Navy should be number five, in my opinion. I'm good with that. I think that one's more about the history than about the like the implications of the game. No one actually cares for a triple option game, in my opinion. <laughs> <laughs> Next, I'm thinking between... This game's hard. The Florida ones? Well, there's also Georgia-Auburn. It's, the deep, it's called the Deep South's Oldest Rivalry. Actually, I didn't even know that like it was that deep of a rivalry, but looking at the record, wow. It is actually kind of close. Yeah, looking at the record, Georgia leads 62-56 to 56 with two ties. And this one started 1892 with 126 matchups. And it's actually not the oldest rivalry in FBS. Minnesota-Wisconsin is actually the most played D1 rivalry that dates back to 1890. Oh, wow. Wow, I knew Minnesota and Wisconsin were rivals, but I didn't really know how big of rivals they were. Minnesota-Wisconsin's the oldest D1 rivalry. So I would say between Auburn-Georgia, you got Florida-Georgia, and then you got like Florida State-Florida. Dang, these South teams. I was also thinking Miami-Florida State. My Yeah, the Miami-Florida State was the other one I was going to talk about. Hmm. I think I'm putting Miami-Florida State. Actually, I don't know. I was going to say put them a little below just because it doesn't have – it has the history. It just doesn't go back as far. Like compared to the to the rest of them, Miami, Florida State started in 1951, and they've got 66 matchups, but it's close. Like Miami leads it 35-31, and it's only 66 matchups, but they've had 26 top 25 matchups, 14 top 10 matchups. So, I mean, that's pretty quality. Yeah, that's almost as much as any other – like rivalry we got here and they've played like half the games of some of these i mean they've been intense and honestly they, these guys hate each other i mean i want to put it high but i guess i kind of like the deep south's oldest rivalry with auburn georgia because of how long, old it is and the fact that it's still pretty close yeah it's been going on for over a hundred years a lot of these have been going on for over a hundred years but that one 126 matchups holy sheesh all right so i say auburn georgia the deep south's oldest rivalry and then Miami, Florida State, because that one, that rivalry is loaded with talent. Yeah, I totally agree. And honestly, those guys are supposed to be the ACC, but somehow Clemson like snuck in. But like early 2000s, Miami was dominating and mid to late 2000s, 2010, early 2010s even, Florida State was dominant, like with Jameis Winston in the days. So during like the 90s and stuff, Miami, Florida State, that's where people used to say there was more talent when the Canes and Knowles met up than in some NFL stadiums. Oh, yeah, true. The 90s was the best era for both these teams. Because you had, that's when Notre Dame used to play Miami. That was when the Catholics versus convicts started. Or that might have been early 2000s. I think 90s is when Miami was just like 
just a bad boy pistons basically of college football. And Florida State, you know, until recently was always historically pretty good. Um, so to recap our top ten rivalries, at number one, we got the game between Michigan and Ohio State. Then we got the Iron Bowl at number two, the Alabama and Auburn. Three, the red I can't say this, the Red River rivalry <laughs> of Oklahoma and Texas. Number four, we got N D USC. At five, we got Army, Navy. And six, we got the Deep South's oldest rivalry with Auburn and Georgia. And number seven, we have Miami, Florida State. So we got three spots left. I want to kind of put in at number 10, it's just called The Rivalry. It's Lafayette versus Lehigh. These are two like small D2 private schools. They're 17 miles apart from each other in eastern Pennsylvania. And this is the oldest rivalry in college football. They've met 155 times starting back in 1884. And they've played every year, I think except the COVID-19 year, since 1897. Wow. Talk about tradition. It had the longest uninterrupted annual series of 130 games until they couldn't play each other in 2020 because of COVID-19. And on top of all that, it's kind of close. Lafayette leads it 80-72 to with five ties. I mean, for it to be that long and for it to be that close, I mean, obviously, I haven't really heard of it till now. I'm sure a lot of folks have it, but it cannot be doubted that based on those numbers, it is definitely the best rivalry. Well, not the best, but best enough to make the top 10. It has uh, no implications, but like I think it's like an honorary number 10. Yeah, actually, that's fair. We can finish off the list with Lafayette Lehigh. Yeah, that's like the oldest rivalry and like the history is there. And like it's two schools that are, they're 17 miles apart. Like they're right next to each other. Yeah, true. That's like a backyard battle. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not that far away. Wow. So we got two spots left, eight and nine. Yeah. Oh, I just a quick disclaimer. I know a lot of folks uh, are probably wondering about the Texas-Texas A&M rivalry. They think that's a big one. But if you look at the series, Texas won 76 games and A&M's only won 37. Like, it's, it's a really one-sided rivalry. I think the same reason to kick out Oklahoma-Oklahoma State. Oklahoma leads that one 90-18 to with seven ties. Oh, that one started in 1904 with 116. And honestly, similarly with Michigan-Michigan State, Michigan leads seventy-one to thirty-eight. So, like these are those that are like big rivalries that everyone talks about, but they're not really that close. The thing with Michigan, Michigan State, also the reason I don't like that one for making the top ten is because Michigan is Michigan State's biggest rival, but Michigan has its own biggest rival in Ohio State. So, like, oh, that's true. <laughs> that's true. Yeah, they're not even each other's biggest rivals. I, I don't really like like that that much. Like a good rivalry, but not. It can't be top 10 if you're not even each other's biggest rivals. Yeah. So then, so for our last two spots, we could do Florida, Georgia. It's called the world's largest outdoor cocktail party. Although it's not really allowed to be called that anymore. And that one's got a lot of history. <laughs> That's funny. Guys. It's, <laughs> you know, it's not. Okay. So I'll tell you the story of that one. Um, so the story with the world's largest cocktail party in like the 1950s during rivalry weekend. One like sports editor saw a fan offering a cop booze and called it the world's largest outdoor cocktail party. And then since then, the name kind of stuck. But then because of different instances with that name and stuff, um, most notably fans tearing down goalposts after rushing the field, they're not really allowed to call it that anymore. <laughs> 
Um, actually, I think this one should make it. I was just going to list all the ones that I think should make it, but I think this one should make it. Another thing with this rivalry is it's played in a neutral site. They're always played in Jacksonville. And then I went through and looked at all like the longest win streaks for all the rivalries that we've talked about. And this one actually had the shortest. So no one was ever too dominant. The longest win streak in this rivalry was seven games. Each team went on a seven-game win streak, and that's the longest. And then one interesting thing that I did not know, it has its own Hall of Fame in Jacksonville just for this game. And two players from each team are inducted every year. Wow, that's a that, – okay, speaking of tradition, that's a really traditional rivalry then all around, and it is fairly close. I mean, not in matchups, but in terms of dominance, no one – Teams been dominating for that many periods, and then looking at the top, the ranked matchups that's twenty three, which is a solid amount. And eight top ten matchups, so yeah, I I like that at number nine. I mean, not nine, eight. Another interesting thing: so Georgia says it started in nineteen oh four when I think they won like fifty two to zero. Florida says it starts later in nineteen fifteen when Florida was officially considered a university in Florida. Georgia says. There's been 100 matchups, and they lead 54-34. And Florida says there have been 99 matchups, and they lead, and Georgia leads 53-34. So a lot of history in that one, actually. Wow. And uh, yeah, actually, too, I didn't even realize Georgia and Florida are bordering states. So it would kind of be like the Michigan State, I mean, Michigan and Ohio State in the South, the bordering states. Yeah, basically. I, I like that, actually. I didn't know much about that rivalry, but Wow. I almost would want to switch that with the Deep South's oldest rivalry. But actually, no, the Deep South's oldest rivalry is a lot closer in terms of competition. So never mind. I like it where it is. I could see, though, you, you want to switch 7 and 8 then, actually? Hmm. Like, put... Because I feel like Miami-Florida State was good, like, for way shorter time than, like... That's true. It was really just the 90s that was just, like, insane in some of the 2000s. Yeah. That's true, yep. I mean, it was still a great rivalry, and I feel like during the nineties, in that period, it'd probably be the best rivalry ever. But like, it was just such a short period. Yeah, compared to like some of these other ones. Yeah, I agree. I think put that at eight, and I'll put a real large outdoor cocktail party at number seven. All right, so we got one more spot now. <clears throat> IU Purdue. <laughs> <Not kidding>. <laughs> <laughs> that is a good one. That's like a it's an old one. It never really means anything because neither of them are really football schools. But... Yeah. In Indiana, at least, there is definitely rivalry. They don't like we don't like each other at all. No, and it's so funny because, like, especially where we're from, up in like the South Bend, up in like Northern Indiana, half the kids go to IU, half the kids go to Purdue, and so when everyone comes back home, for, like you know Thanksgiving, winter break, summer yeah. break, whatever it is, everyone's like, "Screw Purdue, no, screw IU." It's funny. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. 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 I don't think it makes a list though because they've. I don't think the games have ever meant anything. No, no, exactly. And then this, like, this year when Purdue beat us quite a lot, it doesn't really mean anything because the rivalry doesn't mean anything. At least that's what we say. Yeah, <laughs> that's how we make ourselves feel better. Um, But for this list... All right, we got Arkansas, Texas A&M, Southwest Classic, USC, UCLA, another California battle, Florida, Tennessee, Alabama, LSU, um, Alabama, Tennessee. That one's called... The third Saturday in October. That must be when they play. <laughs> and then Florida, Florida State, the Sunshine Showdown. Looking at history, uh-huh. the longest one out of any of these would be Alabama, Tennessee, it's third Saturday in October. Bama leads it. They're up by 20. They're up 58 38. 
but they played since 1901 with 104 matchups. I don't think Tennessee's beat Bama the last, like, since Saban's been there since, like, 2008. I'm pretty sure they've never won against Bama at that time. So it's like, the rivalry is actually really close until Saban got in. Yeah, because, I mean, Tennessee's a pretty big program historically, too. Based on how big these programs are? I think it's between that one and the Sunshine Showdown, Florida, Florida State. Exactly. I was going to think about that. That one's close. And it actually has more ranked and top 10 matchups in, in half the time. The Sunshine Showdown, they played since 1958 with 65 matchups. But you got 65 matchups. 23 of them have been top 25. At least a third of them were actually pretty interesting matchups. And more than a fifth of them were top 10 matchups. So in terms of like pretty entertaining rivalry, I would say Florida, Florida State. It's another like in-state, hate-each-other kind of. Not quite Auburn-Alabama, but it's pretty close. I mean, the reason why I think Miami and Florida State also stuck in here is because of the quality of the rivalry. and So we're going to put that one over the third Saturday in October? Yeah. So you you agree with uh, putting the Sunshine Showdown at 9? Yeah, I'm good with that one. All right, so let's go through the list again. We got the game, Michigan State, Ohio State at number 1. Auburn, Alabama, the Iron Bowl at number 2. Oklahoma, Texas, Red <laughs> Rival Rivalry at number 3. Notre Dame, USC at number four. Army, Navy at number five. Georgia, Auburn in the Deep South's oldest rivalry at six. Georgia, Florida in the world's largest outdoor cocktail party at number seven. Miami, Florida State at number eight. Florida State, Florida in the Sunshine Showdown at number nine. And then Lafayette versus Lehigh in the oldest rivalry in college football at number 10. Yeah, I think that's a really solid list, actually. Looking at that again, I'm like, wow, there's a good reason for each of them to be there. Yeah, lots of history and over a, a thousand years worth of rivalries in that list. Exactly. That's crazy. Yeah, wow. When the NFL added their week 17, or 17th game, week 18 for this year, I think they miss a huge opportunity in making that like the NFL's version of rivalry week and everyone just plays like the same, like they play the same person last year, every year. I totally agree with that. Honestly, we should have, there should be a rivalry that's like non-divisional, just, just a once a year rival. Like right now it would mean nothing, but after playing like the same people for like, and like 20 years from now, and you've played the same team last week of the season for 20 years. I don't know whoever that other fan base is, but you're going to hate them. Exactly, exactly. It'd be a great time to just kick them out of the playoffs every year. Yeah. That brings us to our NFL Pick'em. My uh, Thanksgiving picks last week came in a little clutch for me. I ended up winning last week. And so now I'm ahead 6-4 to four with two ties. How about those Raiders? I'm telling you, man, you got to follow that kid on Twitter. You gotta, We got to find that. Oh, shoot. Did he say anything about the Raiders when you're losing? Because I just I didn't even think. I have no idea if he tweeted something, but I'm telling you. Oh. I'm, no, I'm going with those picks now until until it proves me wrong. Yeah, wow. No, I definitely, like, of all the picks I made last week, I thought that was the one I'm most locked in on. <laughs> and that one, <laughs> that one was a surprise. Uh, just a heads up, if you were thinking about this week, he's got them winning against the football team. Okay, say less. So do I. <laughs> okay, good. Uh, obviously, that's what I had, too. <laughs> but we'll start with Thursday. Thursday night matchup is Dallas versus New Orleans. Who you got for that one? Yeah, I got New Orleans because I think they bounced back from last week's Thanksgiving loss and they get another primetime home game. 
Yeah, I'm going with Dallas. New Orleans is now on a four-game losing streak, and they got to figure out their quarterback situation. I think they might be they might try putting Taysom Hill in for Simeon, but Dallas on a two-game losing streak, but I think they bounce back. And into Sunday, Tampa Bay at Atlanta. Tampa Bay, for sure. Yeah, agreed. I got Tampa as well. Arizona at Chicago. This your Bears. Yeah, but the Cardinals are going to win the game. <laughs> I got Arizona as well. Chargers at Cincinnati. Yeah, Cincinnati. Give me Yeah, I, Chargers have struggled, man. I'm surprised. But I got Cincinnati as well. Minnesota at Detroit. That's a pretty obvious one, I think. Yeah, yeah I don't think. Can't take yeah, we're not taking Detroit until they, they show they can win a game. No, I'm just not taking Detroit this year. <laughs> <I don't... laughs> oh, okay, that's that's. Like I mean, that's pretty. I think you'll you'll do pretty good. Like if I, if I was a betting man, I <laughs> yeah. think I think you're you're safe. You won't lose too much. <laughs> yeah. Indianapolis at Houston. Yeah, give me Indianapolis. They look pretty good, even with the loss. They lost last week. But that was so close. Oh man, I really thought they had a two touchdown lead. Uh no lead is safe against Tom Brady though. Yeah. But I'm I'm with you this week. New York Giants at Miami Dolphins. Yeah, give me Miami. Yeah, you've been liking Miami and Tua. I've been liking the Giants. So, but yeah, I don't know. I didn't pick them this week. I just I'm not I'm not feeling it from them. They've been on a decent win streak. But you're gonna fade them against Tua. Yeah, the Giants. I heard that Daniel Jones might be out, so they have Mike Glennon in, which is honestly not like that big of a drop, but. Miami actually is on a quiet four-game win streak. What? I didn't even know that. I just like Tua. That's what I'm saying. Very quiet four-game win streak. Wow. I, I actually had no clue. Wow. It seems like everyone in the AFC uh, East is hot right now. They all won last week. Uh, Philadelphia at the Jets. Yeah, give me Philadelphia. They've been looking decent-ish. Well, they lost last week, but before that, they were looking decent. And I, the Jets just aren't. That great, even though they're doing last week against Houston, but I'm rocking yeah. Philly as well. Jacksonville at the LA Rams. The Rams have struggled a bit. Yeah, but Jacksonville, <laughs> they'll be fine. They're on a three-game losing streak. They, start, they were seven and one. They're seven and four now. But yeah, Jackson would be a good bounce-back game for them. I agree. Washington at Vegas, obviously Washington, right? Yeah. <laughs> Baltimore at Pittsburgh. That's another AFC North matchup. I want to go with the Steelers at home because of the rivalry and whatever, but I just don't like the Steelers this year at all. So Baltimore. Hey, I'm with you. Baltimore has just been finding ways to win games, and they're somehow, after probably the ugliest performance of Lamar's career against the Browns, they're 8-3 and three instead of the number one seed in the AFC. So That's insane. Wow. San Francisco at Seattle. Uh, yeah, give me San Francisco. I'm I'm high on the 49ers, and I think Seattle is just pretty bad this year. Yeah, Seattle's pretty horrible. <laughs> 49ers on a three-game win streak. Seattle's on a three-game or should be four-game losing streak now. No? Yeah, I, th- I thought they lost more, but there's only three. They're not too bad. In Russ, we trust. He's got to win one at some point. I'm going this week. I agree. I, I love Russ. He's one of my favorite quarterbacks, but... Yeah, but I don't think it wins. It ends now. Denver at Kansas City for Sunday night. Give me Kansas City Chiefs. I'm back on the Mahomes train. Yeah, and they're hot. They've also won four in a row. Yeah. 
wrong with them. Monday night football to go to first in the AFC East and like you'd be like the number two seed as opposed to like the sixth seed. <laughs> New England at Buffalo. Buffalo's at home, so I would think I'd go with them, but I'm going with the team on a six-game winning streak. New England looks red hot, and they don't want to be anyone as bad as they want to be Buffalo. Buffalo, believe me, doesn't want to be anyone as bad as they want to beat New England. I yeah. haven't picked against Buffalo yet this season. I am not starting with the Patriots. <laughs> that's fair. Yeah. Come on now. I wouldn't want you to either. Yeah, no, that's fair. Give give me New England. Give me Buffalo. And that's a huge game. Because like I said, Buffalo is 7-4. Patriots are now 8-4. Patriots are the two seed. Buffalo is the sixth seed. So a lot on the line in this game. In terms of seeding and for the division. Because AFC is very close. So that is our pick for this week. Another good ranking, I'd say. That was a... Yeah, that was very interesting. Yeah, in honor of rivalry week in college last week. I learned a lot about history prepping for this episode. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. A little history lesson. But yeah, I definitely love this list. I am now more excited to see some of these rivalries. Yeah, now for next year's rivalry week, we'll be like, did you know Florida and Georgia have their own Hall of Fame for the rivalry game? Anyway, that wraps up pod number 12. And we will be back again next week with a new ranking, a new topic, and a new pod.